I don't know about you, but I love movies, uh, and I, uh, there's right now it seems like there's tons of movies coming out that I'm just like, I'm going to go broke if I go to all these movies type thing. But I, I often wish life was like a movie. Does anybody else wish that? I, I wish that movies would just go, like life would go like a movie, all right? And where, you know, you have music to warn you and guide you. All right, you, that's a subtle hint in, in the music or in the movies when you're watching it to clue you in on, oh, something's about to happen, right? If we, if we hear the, da-na, da-na, right, we know it's not Flipper that's coming out of the water, all right? It's the big, great white shark jaws, uh, and that's how you tell if you're in the ocean and, and you see a little fin. If you don't hear the music, you're fine, right? Uh, but... I wish that was this case, that when somebody comes in, you meet someone that you would hear maybe either that sinister music in the background or something, uh, or, or if you meet like the love of your life, they come in the room and you hear the angel choir singing, all right? It would be nice if we had that kind of guidance in life. It also would be nice if the good guys always came through, all right? Now I know there's some more movies that more and more we're getting to where it's actually the bad guys that are actually winning, or the good guys aren't as good as you really think they are, and, 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 and that's just the scripting of Hollywood. But it would be nice to know that, hey, if I do the right thing, things are going to come out okay. But life isn't like the movies. The good guys don't always win, or so it seems. I mean, if we looked at things at face value, we would say that those that don't follow Jesus or only follow Him when it's convenient, they seem to succeed. When you look at things by the world standards, you see that they're getting, they're getting the spouses, they're getting the, the, the houses, they're getting the cars, they're getting all the wealth. It looks like they're succeeding. And we might not have maybe literal music playing to tell us what's coming up or if someone has a sinister motive, but the thing is, is that we do have something better than that as we go through life. We have God's Word and God's Spirit. And man, do we need this. Because the backdrop of Scripture actually says in the, that there's this unseen world, this world that we do not see, that is always uh, part, uh, taking place. And what we do here affects what's happening in the unseen world. And what's happening there sometimes affects us. And the world we live in, while created by God, it stands opposed to God and His people because of sin. And it's led by Satan and his forces. That is our battle. So in a way, we are in this cosmic movie of a battle taking place right now. It is the evil versus good. And sometimes those attacks that come our way, they're more overt. They're more obvious, right? It's like, okay, that's, I mean, you got the, the, the horns coming out of your head. That makes it a little obvious to know that I shouldn't be going your way type thing. It's easy to stand against when the attack is just, obvious. But what about those times that it's more sinister and harder to deal with, and, it, and it's really hard to deal with when Satan, he infiltrates the ranks with a double agent? I mean, Jesus had to go through this with Judas. Judas appeared to be one of the disciples. He was with Jesus his whole life type thing, and then at the very end, all of a sudden, he shows his true colors and comes out opposed to God. And sometimes, that is the, the times that it's so, I wish we did have the music. That, that it would be so nice, right, to hear, you know, the, 
the Halloween music or something like that, psycho music going on in the background when you're meeting someone, or maybe just a voiceover from Morgan Freeman. That would be awesome, all right? Where it's just like, Richard thought he was a good guy, but he was wrong, right? It was just like, oh, okay, all right, good, thank you, got it, you know? But we don't have that, and it hurts so much more with it when it comes within the church, those that we think that we should be able to trust, when we come to find out, no, they didn't have your back. No, they had more sinister plot, and they're not actually walking with Jesus, and they're not who you thought they were, and that hurts. But we do have scripture to lay out things that we can be looking for, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be going through a list today in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. And as we go through these, you need to understand, though, we're not talking about those outside the church walls, those that are outside that don't know Jesus. The, who Paul is actually trying to describe to Timothy and to us is actually those that are inside the church. Those that Timothy was in contact with on a daily basis. He's saying, hey, listen, if you see these characteristics in people, you need to avoid them. Like, they're, they're not walking with Jesus, so you need to go the other way. And here's what we really need to do is, like I've said, the Scripture, before it is a window to look through, it's actually a mirror for us to examine ourselves. And so we need to do some hard looking and being like, hey, is this us? So when we see a few of these characteristics in our life, we need to do some like actual repenting and looking at ourselves. God, I don't want this in my life because this is showing that I'm not believing in you in some way. It's showing evidence of unbelief. And it's not, and it's not like if you score, you know, you're not a false teacher or unbeliever if you score like uh, a 10 or, you know, or below type thing. No, it's, it's looking at all of them. And in, 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 in that, we shouldn't be tolerating any one of these characteristics. We all have work that needs to be done. And so we shouldn't tolerate any of these because these are all evidence of unbelief and it's sin. And we don't, we don't tolerate sin because of what Jesus had to go through on the cross. And I don't want you to just simply go through this and just go down and just feel bad all right, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want us just to feel bad and mope around type thing. No, what he calls us to is to repent, to confess it and turn around and go the other direction and stop doing it. Tolerance is from Satan. That's why it's such a big deal right now in our world is tolerance. That comes straight from the pits of hell. Repentance is from God, and that's what he calls us to. So let's look at our, our text. We're going to read the first four Verses here real quick. First Timothy, or Second Timothy, sorry. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 4. You should know this, Timothy. All right, what is it that he should know? It's the what we talked about before. Those that are, uh, he talks about the approved worker and the unapproved worker and how they're in these foolish arguments and, and how to stand firm. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, un and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. He says, verse 1, these are the last days, all right? That in the last days, it's going to be difficult. 
This is common throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about it, and we read it over and over again, that as the day approaches for Jesus' second coming, things are going to get worse. They're not going to get better. It's the child pains. It's the contractions that are taking place that it's about to be a new day. And here's what they looked at. When we talked about the last days, when you hear the last days in Scripture and in here, it's actually talking about from the time that Jesus' ascension to his second coming. That's the last days. But as we've talked about in Bible class and other things, is that we're coming to the end of the end times. We are closer now than we were yesterday. By the end of this chapel, we'll be closer than we were an hour ago. And you can see it coming through different prophecies and different things, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-12, it talks about, as the day approaches, apostasy, those that turn away from the faith, it's going to arise. And we see that taking place with all the wokeness and critical theory and all that kind of stuff that people are actually claiming that and walking away from the gospel. So we shouldn't be surprised by any of what Paul has been saying or about to say as opposition is going to grow. Here's the thing, though. You shouldn't cower in fear. You shouldn't cower in fear, but stand boldly in Jesus to stand and movable as we approach these days and time. So let's look at these traits real quick. There's 18 of them, so we're going to fly through here, all right? The first four, they deal with selfishness, all right? It says that they're lovers of themselves, all right? And if you don't believe that, then just go on social media. It's We are in the selfie generation, all right? We're all about ourselves. We love ourselves. We put filters on ourselves because we don't love ourselves that much. You know, we want to we make sure that we're giving our best impression. But here's the thing about lovers of themselves is love should come from outside of ourselves, not from within. Because if it comes from within, then we're going to be deluded, we're going to deceive ourselves. Love is supposed to come from God, because that love of God, one, humbles us. I mean, it keeps us rooted in truth. But if that gets off, off track, then everything else does as well. This is where they start placing them, uh, themselves first in all things. And the only thing that they love more, it says here, is their money. And we've talked about that, that the love of money is the root of sin. And then it says that they are boastful and proud. Okay? This is the completely lack of humility. They the guide the conversations to draw more attention to themselves. Uh, all they think about is themselves and seen in their, it's seen in their actions. When you, they say that they're for the other person, but when you really look at their actions, it's like, wait a minute, no, that benefits you more than anybody else. You notice these things in people who maybe are always one-uppers. Those that, no matter what you say, they have to come up with something to one-up whatever you said. They brag about their stuff. They talk about themselves and all their accomplishments. They're self-promoted martyrs. The next two is more destructive behaviors. In the New Living, it says, scoffing at God and disobedient to their parents. In other translations, it might say abusive talk. Okay? Scoffing at God, it's, it's basically, it mocks Christ, it ridicules things of God, and opposes the gospel. It's, it's defying and renouncing the truth and good things. It's laughing and speaking about God in a way that's stupid or silly, saying, hey, it's not taking God seriously. The abusive talk is any time that we talk to tear down in order to feel superior. The disobedience to parents, I mean, it makes this list. 
It's this attitude towards parents is a reflection of a deeper attitude toward God. You want to know how somebody relates to God and how the authority of God in their lives? Then look and see how they relate to their parents. Do they respect their parents' authority? Because if they don't respect their parents' authority, most likely they're not going to respect God's authority, which means that they're living uh, above God. Both of these are a sign that they have set themselves above the feelings of others and are insubordinate. So you've got to watch out for those who cut you down more than to build you up, who are making those abusive comments, maybe passive-aggressively or just coming out and saying it. Then he goes into four unwords, negative unwords, all right? He says they're ungrateful, all right? They're never content. Uh, here it says they consider nothing sacred, or another translation says they're unholy, and that's exactly what it means, is they consider nothing sacred, no concept of what is sacred and what is holy, what is true. They have vile thoughts and motives. They will be unloving, all right? They used to, th- this word here is actually used to describe back in Jesus' time, the pagans. What they would do is if they had a baby uh, that they didn't really want, uh, for whatever reason, they would set the baby out with the trash, literally. They would set the baby outside the doorstep or along the trash, and then you would have the, uh, either the wild dogs would take care of the baby, uh, if you know what I mean, uh, or the sex trade traffickers would come along and they would raise that child type thing. And the same thing, you think about this, we, the same thing is happening today. You have those that are yelling for and protesting for social justice while at the same time advocating for killing babies. And sadly, even those in the church have joined those crowd. They're unloving and unforgiving. This is those people that show, they want grace for themselves, but then they pass judgment on those that offend them. Know anybody like that? How about yourself? Is it that you're always wanting grace towards you, but then you're really quick to judge other people? It's saying here that they're incapable of being reconciled to fellow human beings. And in the next few, focus on your speech and behavior. It says, they will be slander others. All right, the slander. This is the tongue of Satan. Satan is the accuser. He slanders. This is the destructive use of the tongue to spread false rumors and lies about others. It's to destroy the reputation. And let me just say this. Your reputation is what people think of you. Your character is who you actually are. Let people think what they want, but you know who you are by holding on to your character. Your character cannot be destroyed by slander or any other way. They look out. They're looking to cut down. All right, that's what slander is. It's to look, they're looking to cut down the person. They have no self-control. They're undisciplined, maybe, is what your translation might say. The lack of control affects those around, around them and not just themselves. All right, it's not just that they're out of control and they're undisciplined and they're just, it affects everybody. If, if someone's lazy, they're not disciplined in their work, it makes more work for everybody else, Right? And it sometimes leads to others just walking on eggshells around that person because they're so out of control that you don't know how, what kind of reaction you're going to get. There's two more unterms here that they, they give. They will be cruel and hate what is good. All right, ungodly. 
uh, ruthless and cold is what it says. Uh, and and this, this, this ungodly or ruthless and cold, it's this brutal sometimes is what the word says. It's a savage. It's to describe fierce lions that tear apart things. They, they can destroy someone. This is those people that can destroy someone and then go to sleep peacefully. They hate what is good. They're not lovers of good. Okay? They lack of moral sensitivity, and, inc- and they have an inclination towards evil. Uh, it, this is those persons that, if given a clear choice between what is good and what is evil, they choose evil. And they will betray their friends, or they're treacherous, they're traitors. They completely betray their faith and their friends through their actions and attitudes. They're reckless. All right, they, they're out of, out of selfishness. They act without thought of others for the possible consequences. This is the person that says the ends justify the means. It's being puffed up with pride, self-important, conceited, puffed up. It's an improper view of themselves before a holy God and leads them to think more of themselves than others. They love pleasure rather than God. They're out to satisfy their own cravings, all right? This is, in other passages, it says that they worship their stomachs, all right? This is satisfying their other, so self-absorbed, self-gratifying, that they've put their own pleasure, their own comfort before God. These characteristics, characteristics belong to those of the world, not of God. And we might look at some of this and be like, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, uh, yeah, that one's me too. And the difference is between those that will completely go away from God, apostate, become false teachers, and those that are generally walking with God is their attitude when confronted with the truth. You repent, change your ways, and go down the path leads to Jesus. Or are you going to be all puffed up and prideful and be like, nope, I'm good, I'm moving on. So maybe you're not a false believer, all right? I'm not making that claim or anything like that. But the, uh, the next question that Paul goes into is, how vulnerable are you to these false teachers or these false teachings? So looking at verse 6, they are the kind... All right, talking about the false teachers. Uh, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes. Uh, another translation says worms their way into homes. And I used to, when I grew up, uh, our living room, all right, the, it, the, it, was, it used to be a garage and it got transformed into a living room. And so it was at the ground level. And so the worms loved it on rainy days. They would come in through our sliding doors underneath and everything. They'd worm their way in. And so my mom being a babysitter in our house, all of a sudden you would hear the kids yelling, there's a snake in the house. And we're like, you know, I'm running the other way. Uh, but my mom being the courageous person that she is, she would go in and she's like, oh, it's just a worm, right? And, and, and it's that, that imagery that's coming to mind is that the, they worm their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of little of sin and controlled by various desires such women are forever following new teachings but they are never able to understand the truth these teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposes Moses and who he's talking about 
You remember the story of Moses is the magicians that when Moses would cast down uh, his rod or do miracles and then all of a sudden Pharaoh's magicians would come and they would uh, do magic to be able to do the same thing, right? To harden Pharaoh's heart. That's who they're referring to. Those are the, the guy's names. All right, the opposed Moses, they, they had to prave minds and counterfeit faith, but they won't uh, get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. All right, so what I want to focus on is here is how do we make sure that we're not vulnerable to the false teachings here? And he focuses on women here, all right? This isn't a sexist dig or anything like that, because the same things that are true for these women, these characteristics that made these women more vulnerable to this false teaching, it's across the board, all genders, male and female, that we need to be aware of this. I will say that the inclination of how God has designed men and women, men tend to, tend, all right, I'm not saying always, tend to think logically about things. Women tend to be a little bit more on the emotional side of stuff when it comes to things, and so that makes them a little bit more vulnerable, okay? I'm just making a, not saying always, just a little statement there. But there is something here that we see in these women that is true for all men and women that make us more vulnerable. And the first thing that you see is that they're actually spiritual stragglers. They're, they're vulnerable, all right? And the false teachers, they, they, they're like the Satan, their father Satan, who is a lion. It says that he prowls around looking for someone to devour. If you watch the National Geographic shows of how they hunt, they always look for the, the weakling, all right? The one that's, uh, that's hurt or straggling behind and not paying attention and not staying with their group, they usually go after that person. So it's this person that's out there. They're, they're kind of straggling behind everyone else. They're also weak-willed. They're loaded down with sin, all right? They, they're loaded down with sin is this whole thing of being unconfessed sin. And when we don't confess sin, we don't come before God and confess our sin and repent of it, it does create a barrier in our relationship with God, and it renders our conscience kind of ineffective at the time. It's kind of this idea that we're just putting on more baggage that we're not supposed to be carrying around, all right? And so you got all these bags that you're going around, and it just gets tiring, and you get tired. And then when you're tired, you're going to be more likely to give in to the sin. And, be, and, and you're, you're dealing with this baggage, and so you're looking for all these different ways. And this is the next thing, is that they're religious fanatics. They're very knowledgeable and enthusiastic about inactivity. All right? They're always into, hey, did you hear the latest thing? Look at this type thing. All right? And they're, they're trying to get into looking at what is the new thing? What is that new thing that's out there? And so they're trying to find those new teachings, those maybe new religions, and they're looking for all these different things, but they lack, because of their sin and lack of discernment, that neutralize their ability to apprehend God's truth. And the false teaching they're un, and false teachers, they're unable to apprehend the truth until they can confess their sin and repent. And you'll see, you can tell the false teaching because they work to deny sin, just simply ignore it, than to actually break free of it by repenting. Uh, this is kind of the, the denying the sin. It's kind of like when you're real little. Right, you all do it. I did it. My kids do it. All right, we're going to play hide and go seek. Okay, 
You know, they just cover their hands and they can't, they're like, if I can't see you, you can't see me. And that's what we, sometimes society's world, their solution to sin, simply deny it. Just close your eyes to it. Don't, don't look at it. You know, you're good. You're a good person. You need to just, you know, more self-positive imagery is what you need type thing. And then not focus on the sin. But we have to look at it. We have to confess it. We have to repent of it. And when we do that, then we break free of it. But if you notice, I actually skipped over a verse. And this verse is crucial to the whole understanding of this because what makes you more likely or, or to possibly become or follow false teaching and deceiving yourself is this right here. Verse 5, they will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The real issue is that they don't believe in the power of the gospel. That's what leads people either to go towards these false teachings or to become a false teacher themselves. It's because they don't truly believe in the power of the gospel. It's all an act. It's all facade. Listen, you can have all the right answers, and no evidence in your speech or actions. You can, people can know all the different facts about the scripture, about the gospel, about the theology and everything, and yet it doesn't, if it doesn't make an impact on the way that they live, they don't truly understand what they understand. The Christian life isn't a test. It isn't like God says, all right, welcome to the pearly gates. Here's your exam. As long as you get like a 90%, we'll let you in. No. It's not a test. It's a lifestyle. It's taking this and applying it to our lives. The false teachers, they say, you know what? You can, if you, can you pass the written test? Can you give us the right answers? As long as you can do the religious talk and you can say the right things, that's all we're actually out for. What the gospel says is, can you pass the litmus test? Can we hold your life up to this and say, look, they look like Jesus? Does your lifestyle show it? And here's the thing is that most of the time, the difference between the false teachers and an actual follower of Jesus is 18 inches. That's the difference. It's moving the knowledge from your head to your heart and from your heart into your life. So oftentimes, those, they like to give the appearance of being religious, but they've rejected the actual power that could make them godly. And this is because they, maybe they're still dealing with a sin and they're like, well, maybe it just didn't take, so I'll just still play the game. Maybe it just didn't, this doesn't, just doesn't apply to me, right? I can deal with this. I can say the right things and do the right things, and, and, and it doesn't really matter that in here I'm living on my own accord, my own power. And if you do that enough times, and when you're examining the person's uh, behavior, as Paul's already said, it's going to come out through the words that they say, through the way that they treat one another. You will see the real deal. And a lot of times, if we're really honest with ourselves, the reason that we get ourselves into this predicament is that we are trying to play both sides. We're not fully convinced that God is fully worth it. And so we want to try to do both sides. We're like, well, if I can have all this and I can have all that, like I'm just going to pick and choose the good of both and have the best of both worlds. Jesus doesn't allow us that option. It is an all or nothing Those that go astray and those that fall victim to the false teaching at some level don't believe in the power of the gospel. They're all talk. 
They have all the right answers. They can tell you, you ask them a Bible question, and man, they can fire it off. But when you look at their lives, it's a mess. And they don't have that power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Sometimes it's just that they're ashamed. Well, you know, well, yeah, Jesus did say that we should, you know, slow down, we should give to the poor, and we should live simpler lives and not be caught, ah, I don't know, you know, and, and so we get ashamed of it. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. That is the gospel message. That is the power and because they don't believe in the power, because it looks like they're going to succeed, it looks like they're, they're the ones that are actually living the best life. It looks like they're the ones that are succeeding. And, and while we stand immovable with Jesus, we're the ones that are suffering. It's not right. The movie's not going like it should. But verse 9 says, But they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is real, and those that will repent and turn to Him and, and rely upon Him will have that power within them, that it won't be just all show and all talk. God is ruling, and the end is coming, and everyone will be exposed for who they truly are. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. That is our Jesus, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sword sharp to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Lord Almighty, like justice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting in the vultures, flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of the kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders and all of humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the, ho the, on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown into, alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding on the white horse, and the vultures and all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. That is what awaits. That is what's coming. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to say, nope, you're not getting away with it. So what should we do? Repent. Hold on. Stay immovable. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, he's gonna, it's all going to be worth it. He's going to make the matter straight, and we want to stand with him. 
So don't cower in fear. Don't, don't bend to these false teachers. Don't bend to anything, but stand boldly in Jesus and stand immovable.